Okay, guys. As we uh, look at our little church today, I see a lot of people who want to know what God is doing in their life. You know, I look at what's happening in our country, and somebody asked a question this week. They say, how can we get people to be not so full of hate, not so focused on aggression and anger and frustration, and how can we get people to be kinder to one another? And I thought to myself, well, what does it mean to be a proper citizen of any country, not just the U.S., but any country in the world? And I think it comes down to this, duty. We talked about Memorial Day. Those men and women who have gone in the service of this country, they have done their duty and laid down their lives in the service of this country and its people. Amen? Duty is a huge thing. To serve and to protect is the duty of the police department, right? But you know what? Those of us who are not military, we're not police, we're not firefighters, we have a duty also. As Christians, as believers, our primary duty is love. Now, we've been talking about the different kinds of love, the different meanings of love. By this love, I mean the agape love that looks out for the good of other people, that looks out for other individuals, that goes beyond our own needs and looks at the needs of other people. You, you, can, you can meet people. You can see when people are upset. You can see when they're stressed. You can see when their anxiety levels are up. As a believer, you have an antidote for that kind of anxiety, and it's Jesus Christ. You know, in this world, there are only three objects, three true objects of this agape love. Of course, we love our families. We love our wives, our husbands, our children, parents, grandparents. We love all of these amazing people. But outside of that immediate circle of family, I think there are three objects of our love. I want to see them today in Romans chapter 13. You know, we're still in Romans. We're not done yet. We're almost there. Where we go from Romans, I do not know yet. I'm seriously tempted to do spiritual warfare, to really go through the scriptures and talk about how, it's, how it is that we fight a spiritual battle on a day-to-day -day basis. A uh, sermon series like that would probably take 10 weeks, and I, I, I want to make sure that I've got God's green light before I do something like that. I'm just letting you know, this could be coming. It also gives you time to get to Romans 13. So the three objects of our love, found in Romans 13, begin in Romans 13.1. Authority is an object of our love, and by authority, I mean the Lord our God. Amen? Here it is, Romans 13.1. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities. I know this is Texas, and we all hate hearing this, but this is the way God's word goes. We have to submit to it. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the ones in authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good, this, this, this submission, for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it, is, it, will, it does not carry a sword for no reason. For it is God's servant also, the avenger that brings wrath on the ones who do wrong. Therefore, and here it comes again, submit, you must submit, not only because of wrath, but because of your conscience. When we are in rebellion against the government or against proper authority or even the word of God, 
we do so at our own risk. For it is the reason you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those who, owe, who are owed respect, and honor to those you owe honor. Now, as we look at this, there's a lot of things right here that are talking about where we are in this country right now. You see it, don't you? You see this spirit of rebellion, the spirit of saying, why am I paying taxes? Why do I submit to this? Why do I submit to this? Why do I want to obey the laws? I hear people talking all the time. We need to overthrow the government. We need to change everything. We need to go to a better system. Well, according to what I read right here, we don't have a right to say that as Christians. I want you to consider something. This was spoken by Paul at a time when the Romans had their foot on the neck of Israel. When Romans could seize your property, seize your land, seize your wealth, seize you. When they could throw you in jail, execute you, crucify you. The Romans had this sort of dictatorial power and authority. And yet Paul is saying to the Romans who are living in Rome under this authority, hey, you have to submit to these people. Nero, who hated the Christians, used as one of his charges that the Christians were trying to overthrow the government, that the Christians were trying to overthrow the empire, and that was one of the reasons he crucified and murdered and burned and, and fed to the lions so many innocent people. His charge was sedition. Christians want to sed to secede from the government. They want to step back. They want to have their own authority. They don't want to pay attention. They don't want to pay taxes. They don't want to support the legions. None of these things were true. And that's what Paul's writing about. Paul's saying, don't get caught up in this nonsense because God put them there for a reason. I know what you're thinking, but pastor, look at the government today. Look at what they are doing. How can we submit to it? I'll tell you how. Consider this. When Jesus was walking, they asked him, Lord, is it right for us to pay taxes? Man, there's some places in the country where you could get into a fist fight over this question right now today. Luke 20, 24 through 25. Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Physical, material things, submission to his authority, submission to his laws. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but unto God the things that belong to God. What does God demand? Our ultimate love, our ultimate attention, our ultimate focus. If we're so focused on the things of God that we don't have time to try to overthrow the country, I mean, we are so divided as a nation right now because of things like abortion laws and reparation laws and so many other things that are happening. A lot of churches have spent the last two years talking about civil rights, and while doing so, they have not talked about the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I run into people constantly. I'll say something. I'll make, make a quick comment, and they'll go, what do you mean? I go, well, the Bible says this. I've never heard that. Do you go to church? Well, yeah, I go to church every Sunday, which you've never heard this and this and this. No, 
what, what do you talk about? We talk about how we have rights and how we should fight for our rights and how we should change the government for our rights. And I'm like, what church do you go to? What church exists for political change? No church. The church of Jesus Christ exists to bring sinners to repentance and to raise up Christians to full maturity. Can I get an amen? Who wants to go to Sunday school and learn about civil rights laws? Nobody. Who wants to, here's what I'll give you right from the press. Who wants to go to an adult Sunday school class and learn how not to pay taxes? Who does that? What pastor allows his church to be used as a platform for throwing out the governor and all the governor's laws? Who wastes the time? If Jesus is about to knock on the door of eternity and gather together all of those redeemed souls, why are we wasting time talking about saving a fallen world? America is going to burn. Europe is going to burn. China will burn under the reign of the Antichrist. And we can't stop it. So what do we do? We use the time to redeem the lost, to bring them to a knowledge of Jesus Christ so that when God calls his own home, they won't be here. Put up both hands, people. Count on your hands the people you know that are not going. Count on your ten fingers the people you know who do not believe in the God of the Bible. And there's ten reasons why you should be talking about it. Ten reasons why that should be our focus and not this. I mean, I, I don't like to get caught up in all the things that are happening and all the laws they're, they're talking about and doing because it's not important. Yes, I vote my conscience. Yes, I say what is right. Yes, I have my rights and I would like to keep them for a while longer. But that's not the focus of my existence. It's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a Christian. Do you understand what I mean? Consider this in the Old Testament. Israel sins against God. What does God do? He says, I have called the hawk. I have called the eagle from the north to descend and destroy the house of Jacob. He has called Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylonia, to come and overthrow the walls of Jerusalem and carry them off captive. Why did he do that? Why did God cause the destruction of the city of David because they weren't listening. They were not paying attention. Why did he allow the northern kingdom to fall to the Assyrians and the southern to fall to the Babylonians? Why did he allow Rome to come in and conquer his people? Because they quit listening. He says, I make nations rise and I make them fall for my own plans. When the Babylonians took the Israelites into captivity for 70 years, they were pretty much a pagan people. They were pretty much a non-Jewish, non-worshipping people. They were doing the acts, but there was nothing in their heart for the, love, for, the, for the love of their God. So he took them away so they could learn to be humble, learn to seek his face. Then he let them come home. The prophecies about the coming of Cyrus the Medo-Persian. Cyrus's name appears in Scripture long before he actually comes. When he comes, he's given a scroll. The Lord God of Israel has said, 
your name and this is what you are to do. He read it. You know what he did? He did it. He sent them home. He allowed them to go home because right there in the Hebrew scriptures was his name. He let them go home. God directs all nations. He allows things to happen so that the world will be what it is, the way it needs to be. We have to respect authority. Whether you like the people in the office or the White House or wherever, we are not insurrectionists. We are not what Nero accused us of being. We're not trying to destroy anything. We're trying to save those that we can save. You may brand me a coward, but I think the word of God backs me up. Can I get an amen, even if you don't agree? Let's go on. Second object of our passion, of our love, is others. They, you know, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And they said, hey, Lord, who's my neighbor? Jesus locked eyes on him and said, everybody around you is your neighbor. He gave him several examples. The truth is, everyone Christian, non-Christian, Muslim, Jewish, Hindu, whatever. They are the neighbor I am responsible for under God. Take a look at this. Romans 13, 8. Do not owe anyone anything. This is not about taxes and this is not about loans. My daughter's got a friend who has got so many loans, he might be able to pay it back after his third life. You know, if he, if he lives three lifetimes, he might be able to pay back all the money he's borrowed. So there's, there's some wisdom in this financially, but that's not the point. Do not owe anyone anything except the debt of love, to love one another, to agape each other. For the one who loves each other has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not commit murder, do not steal, do not covet, or any other commandment are summed up in this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Think about it. If we truly love the person next to us, we're not going to cheat them in a business deal. If we truly love agape, have compassionate regard for the people next to us, we're not going to abuse their trust. We're not going to interfere in their marriages. We're not going to do all those types of things. We're not going to succeed in business at their expense. There's a lot of things we do when we say it's good business. Remember the last person who said, it's just business. Remember who said that? Ebenezer Scrooge. You know who he said it to? Jacob Marley. To which Marley responded, business, mankind was my business. That's what I was supposed to be about. Dickens lived in a horrible time, a very draconian society, a very brutal society. The poor got poorer and the rich got richer. Hmm, sounds like a place I know. Anyways, basically what was going on is he was using Scrooge and Marley to show that we owe each other a measure of compassion. If you've ever doubted that Charles Dickens was a Christian, don't doubt it. I've read about the man. I've read about his life. I've read about his work. Read A Christmas Carol. Don't watch the movie. They edited out the good stuff. Read the book. And there is no doubt that this man was a Christian speaking to a very non-Christian England and trying to get them to wake up to the reality of the world they lived in. You know, that's, that's exactly what he was doing. And he goes on, this love fulfills everything. 
John, oh, sorry, 1 John 4, 20 through 21. If anyone says, I love God, but he hates his brother, ouch, love God, but hates your brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love, whom, cannot love God whom he has not seen. We've never seen the face of Jesus Christ. We have felt his power, felt his presence. We have experienced his forgiveness, his love. But you can't love this invisible God if you hate all the things he's created, all the people he has created. Now, we get annoyed with them. Can I get an amen? We, we get annoyed, seriously annoyed, with our fellow man and woman because sometimes, well, they're nothing but horses behinds. They're just terrible people. And that is the truth. Can I get an amen? You know it's true. But to hate someone is to have no compassion, no mercy, no, no, no forgiveness. Remember, when you don't forgive somebody, the only person you hurt is you. That's the truth. The only person you can hurt is yourself if you don't forgive. And that's what he's talking about right here. And this command we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The word there is not a romantic, sweet, squishy uh, family love. This is the agape love. This is the giving love. This is the sacrificing love. I may not like you, but I could still tell you about Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't particularly care for the way you live, for the way you talk for the way you treat your family or, or whatever, but I still have enough agape love to let you know that there is still a time to be saved, that you can still be saved even though you are a complete jerk. You know exactly who I'm talking about. You, I can see it in your faces. You know exactly who these people are. Yet they still are deserving of the agape of God, that love that says, you know what, even though I don't like you, I'm going to tell you the truth so that you can be saved. And then after you get saved and you repent and you get straight, then we'll work on our issues together. So there's two objects of our love in this world. You want to save the country? You want to be a good citizen of the United States? Then respect authority, especially God's, and respect others. Because who is your neighbor? Everybody. Last one is this. You have to love our Lord. Romans 13, 11. Besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. <laughs> Believe me, if Paul said salvation was near in the first century, you can only imagine how close it is in the 21st century. You know, I told you before, people went, oh, if, if God was going to come back, if Jesus was going to come back, he would have done it a thousand years ago. No. The world is exactly the way it is supposed to be in order for his return to happen. The world is poised on a place where everything in the book of Revelation, every plague, every destruction, every war is right underneath the surface of what's happening in our world. Look at the news through biblical eyes and you will be stunned how close we are to God's return. That's the truth. It is the truth. It's time for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when you first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Two 
awesome words we just shot past. I hope you realize what they are. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. All of this about day and night. Everyone knows there were two laws concerning killing another person. If a, if a person broke into your house in the daytime, you were not allowed by the law of Moses to take their life. Why? It says the thief who breaks in, in the day breaks in out of hunger or thirst or need. But the person who comes at night comes to rob, steal, and kill. In that situation, you were allowed to defend yourself. Of course, today in our modern age, we are so indecent. We are so immoral. We are so far past the compassion of God that, that thieves break in day and night to kill and to steal. You know, so there was this, there was this idea that, that all this evil was done at night when, when, when the sky was dark and God could not see what they were doing. Consider Job 24, 24, 14 through 16. The murderer rises before it is light and he may kill the poor and the needy. And in the night, he is like a thief. There's the thief in the night. The eye of the adulterer also waits for twilight, saying, No eye will see me, and he veils his face, meaning God. God won't see me. In the dark they dig through houses. By day they shut themselves up. They do not want to know the light. So like rats or cockroaches, they hide in the darkness. You ever notice that? Turn on the lights in the middle of the night. As soon as the light hits them, the cockroaches scatter. Same thing happens in the world. People do all sorts of terrible things when they think nobody's paying attention. But as soon as someone casts a light on it, everybody scatters because nobody wants to be identified for what they do. But it says right here, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6, 16 through 18. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all power and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. That's why we pray for those traveling. That's why we pray for those who are not here, because we don't know what they're going through. We pray for them to have that strength. You see, this word put on is literally the word to clothe yourself. Okay, in the Greek, this means to put on like a garment. We talk about the, the armor of God, right? The armor of God is the idea of putting on armor, putting on this stuff. And when he says put on the Lord Jesus Christ, he's talking about this. Shield of faith. What does faith tell you? Faith tells you that God is with you, that God will bring you through. God will never leave you or forsake you. God has a plan, so you power through. The helmet of salvation protects your mind, your thoughts, from what the world wants to pump into it. The world tells you you're not worth it. The world tells you you have no money, you have no authority, you have no power. What do you have? Despair. There's a lot of people who give into that despair every day. And when they quit trying, when they quit hoping, when they quit believing in a God who sees and answers prayer, that's when they sink into that dark place, in that dark, terrible place. He goes on to say the sword of the Spirit. This is the one you have in your hands. This is the Word of God. Satan can tell you 10,000 things that are wrong with you, but the Word of God tells you what's right with you. And that is you have trusted in Jesus Christ. Therefore, you are already victorious. All you have to do is walk it out. You know, there was a football team 
here. And they by halftime, I think, by halftime, they were had tripled or quadrupled the score of the other team. It was it was it was like seven to 108 or something like that. It was a ridiculous one. And they said to the players, uh, why don't you guys ease up, take it, let, let the other team catch up to halfway. And the coach said, and I, I have to say cool to this, he says, you know what? You don't win by letting the other team catch up. Because if the other team catches up on any given Sunday, any team can win. And if you let them get close enough, they might blow right past you and take that victory. So if you are thinking to yourself, I, I don't have to be so strict about my Christian walk. I don't have to restrict myself on what I see, what I hear, what I'm part of. You can't let that happen. That helmet of salvation protects your head. The word of God tells you what's true. This tells you what's true. I may not particularly care for the policies of the United States federal government, but that is not my call to make. I have to respect and put myself under allegiance to it. Otherwise, I need to get the heck out of the country, if you know what I mean. Here's the thing. This says some things that we don't want to hear, but I'll tell you something. Look at the history of Israel all the way through to today. Rebels never succeeded. Rebels against the authorities that God put there always suffered defeat and death and shame. The only way we succeed is we submit to God in all things and then do what we have to do as citizens of this country. That is not a popular message, but I'm telling you, if you could find anything else in here, find any other answer, find any other explanation, I would love to listen to it. Because my humanness rebels against that. But the word of God tells me that's what I have to do to be walking with the Lord. Amen. Let's pray.